So the Apostle Paul here in Galatians chapter 4, and we've been studying Galatians now for a, oh, a month or so here uh, at uh, Anna Street. And today we kind of, uh, we're going to study a little bit about uh, Paul's method of delivery. So Paul here in uh, chapter 4 and verse number 8 and through 20, he kind of talks to them very plainly. He's talking to them about, he's been talking to them about a tough subject for the first four chapters. And when we think about uh, Apostle, the Apostle Paul, and we think about his life, um, he's a guy that has addressed tough subjects head on his whole life. Even back when he was a Jew, he was addressing those Christians head on because he thought that was wrong. When that, when that changed on the road to Damascus, then he started addressing the other problems head on for Christ. He's been, a, he's been an apostle that has been very direct. And here in chapter 4 and 8 through 20, he's, he's even being more direct. He's saying, hey, when you guys didn't know about God, you, you served other gods, and that, that's natural. But now you've been told. And I went to you, and I told you the truth. I spent the time with you. I told you everything about it. And now these Judaizers are coming in, and they're trying to change your mind. Are you guys crazy? Basically, that's been his address to them here in Galatians. He's been heading head on into this subject. And so today we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about as people, as Christians, how do we address what, I've, what I have uh, titled as the unpopular truth. And we're going to talk, this doesn't only apply to, hey, I want to go talk to some, Joe uh, got up and talked to us yesterday, last Sunday afternoon after the service about meeting people where they are and how you address tough situations, people that are in tough places. And he talked about a friend that he had that was able to do that. And we're going to talk about some things, some mindsets, some tools that we should have when we're addressing those types of unpopular truths. And they can honestly be uh, something that you need to address between you and your spouse. It can be something you need to address between you and your kids. This doesn't apply just to telling somebody about the gospel, although it does apply to that as well. And that's and so as Paul is talking to these Galatian brethren, he's been very um, sharp and to the point. And as Zach read there, he said things like, I would like to be present with you now to change my tone. He's, he's taken a very aggressive tone with them through this letter. He told them he was, uh, uh, he's been laboring, laboring birth again. It's been a painful process for him to um, preach the gospel, to tell them the truth, to tell them the things they needed to know. And so as we think about the unpopular truth, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about having crucial conversations or critical conversations or tough conversations so we've been we've entitled the lesson the unpopular truth i got this from a secular book but i believe it holds true crucial conversations are these tough conversations they really have three components to them the first is that there's going to be some opposing opinion and so we see that here in galatians right there's this Jewish principle and there's this Christian principle, two opposing opinions that are directly in conflict with one another. The second thing it's got to have is strong emotions. And boy, are the emotions strong here, right? All the way from the cross where they were screaming to crucify Christ to Paul's emotions here where he's going, man, I wish I could change my tone. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughters before he became a Christian. 
there are emotions and they're running high here in Galatians. You got these Jews that are trying to teach these Christians that, yeah, Christianity's okay, but let's keep the Sabbath days and let's keep all these days that we were supposed to keep. And we read that in the scripture today here in, in chapter four, where he says, you guys are keeping days and weeks and months and years and that's okay, but it's not important. That's, that's gone. There's something better. And the last thing is the, for a conversation to be important or to be critical is that there has to be high stakes and how, how much higher stakes than your Christianity, your soul, right? And so when, when we're talking about telling somebody the gospel or preaching them the gospel or taking to them this good news, the stakes are extremely high. The stakes are extremely high when you have to have that conversation with your spouse that's going to be a tough conversation, right? There are times when marriages can be in jeopardy in those conversations. There are times when your child's um, future is in jeopardy in the conversations that you're going to have with them. Are you going to be able to convince them through your leadership for the 10 or 12 years that you can really influence it that they ought to be Christians when they grow up? Or are you not? Those are crucial, critical conversations with high stakes. So the first thing, we're going to go through about eight or ten things. I didn't count them, but about eight or ten things that I pulled out of uh, different places in the Scripture that I think are important attitudes or objectives or thoughts or uh, reflections that we ought to have before we enter into that crucial conversation. And the first one is um, in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6, it says, uh, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your to God. So the first thing that I believe this is vital, before we're going to have those crucial, critical conversations, we have got to go to God in prayer and take Him into those conversations with us. If, and this is the toughest part, right? Because if somebody triggers us, our immediate thing, our immediate reaction is to get in into it, right? To, to solve that problem, to get in their face, to get it solved, or at least that's fine. Um, it's, it's very, uh, you know, I'm very direct. I'll, let's get this and let's get it handled right. And I don't even think about what, 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 what's God's role in all of this. How would he have me uh, address this maybe differently than the way that, um, that I'm going to? So, so God's going to be the agent of change in their heart. It's not going to be us. We're going to say words, but God's going to be the one that's got to work in their heart and change their mind. <clears throat> don't run into the conflict without him. That's that's uh, we make decisions every day. This goes for a lot of things other than just crucial conversations. People have picked up families and moved across the country. People have we, we've done all kinds of things without first going, man, is this the right thing for us to do? Let's pray. Let's talk about this. Let's figure this out from God's perspective. How should we handle this conversation? Not from our perspective, but from God's perspective. How should we handle this conversation? So don't run headlong into it without him. Um, and, and also talk, talking to God can help us take the emotion that we want to express towards that other person. It can help us to, to numb that a little bit, to take the edge off of that. Because we can get emotional with our Father in that prayer about how this is feeling to us and how this is affecting us. And if we do that, then we can maybe not have to put all that energy and emotion out towards that other person, right? So if we could start with prayer, if we can just pull ourselves back and take a moment and 
and, and talk to the one that knows all, sees all, hears all, and maybe get a different opinion or a different uh, attitude towards that situation, um, then I think that should be our very first step. <clears throat> number one, or number two, Paul tells us actually to deal with the problem quickly. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So if this is a problem where you're angry or you've got there's some uh, anger, uh, emotion of anger or anxiety or whatever about this, Paul says, take care of it now. So we, we tend to have two, we tend to approach problems in two different ways. One is run headlong into it, and the other one is to ostrich in the sand it, right? And so, hey, this is a big deal. I don't know exactly how to handle it, so we just don't. We sidestep it. We move away from it. We don't handle it. Paul tells us to to handle that quickly. So, uh, and 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 that's wise counsel from Paul himself. And he did handle things quickly. As soon as he heard about this Galatian thing, right? He didn't have time to go to Galatia, so he starts writing a letter back to them, going, "Hey, there's these Judaizing teachers. This is not right." He handles it as fast as he can. He handles it immediately. <clears throat> so, um, shouldn't procrastinate or sidestep. This is a tough one, especially for all of us A personalities in the room. Don't assume that we know what they're thinking. Don't assume we know their motivations. So um, two ladies are arguing over an orange. What are y'all laughing about? All the ladies start giggling. Um, Two ladies are arguing over an orange. And they finally decide that that Solomon fellow was pretty wise, and so they cut the orange in half, and they split it, and each one of them takes it. One of them takes it in another room, and she eats the orange. The other one takes it, and she grinds up the orange peel and puts it into a recipe and throws away the meat of the orange. The other one throws away the rind and eats the meat because they didn't really understand their motivations, right? Both of them thought the other one wanted it for something else where in essence they could have pulled the meat out and the one could have gone and eaten the orange and the other one could have had the whole rind for the recipe that she needed. So that's a made up story, but it's to emphasize this fact that we don't always understand like we think we do the motivations of the other person. In Proverbs it says the purpose of a man's the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. And the concept of that word deep waters there, it means um, unfathomable. So if you think about going in the ocean and you think about going down into the deep waters to the point that there's not even any light, it's just darkness and you can't see anything. It's unfathomable what's going on around you, right? And that's what it's talking about. It's, It's impossible for us to know someone else's heart. Impossible. We can't fathom it. Now they can tell us and then we can either believe that or not believe that because we, we still don't know. <laughs> we know what they told us their heart is thinking. But the point here is that a wise man draws that out. He doesn't assume it, or woman. He, they don't, we don't assume it. We draw it out. And so, um, and we should do that with humbleness too. So uh, I've got a, a, I'm in Vistage. Um, I don't know if y'all know some of you know what that is, but it's a group of businessmen that come together once a month and we talk about our businesses and we work on our businesses together, whether that be whatever problem. It could be anything from, you know, an employee problem to a systematic problem or a process to, I don't know, anything. Uh, 
uh, everything's pretty much on the table. But my Vistage, I've got a chair, they call him a chair, and, and he basically facilitates the meeting of 16 or 18 businessmen that come together, which is a chore in itself. But he wrote a book a couple of years ago, and the book's title was Questions. And so it was a book, literally half inch, quarter inch, three quarters of an inch thick, hundreds and thousands of just questions. So there'd be a title about um, uh, motivation, or there'd be 30 questions you could ask somebody to try to help determine what their motivations are. You'd pick a subject, there'd be all these questions you should have. And so what I've learned, and uh, the way to draw it out, one way to draw people out, is to just ask them questions. Quit assuming that the, you know their motivation and just ask them questions and let them reveal the deep waters that you're trying to assume you know. The next thing is um, deal with the problem privately. We're familiar with the verse in Matthew 18 that tells us to do that. <clears throat> but that sometimes is tough. What happens if it starts publicly? What happens if somebody calls you out in public, right? That's tough to do. But we have to do it. Even if it starts in public, no public emails, no Facebook, no Twitter, no whatever, Instagram, all of the social media. Get off of it when it comes to dealing with problems with other people. That's not where that should be taking place. I think it says, yeah, close your mouth, take a breath, walk away from the crowd and the keyboard. So... Um, I saw a perfect example of this the other day. One of my directors was in a, was in a meeting, and uh, he was uh, saying some things, and one of the project managers said something in a uh, very uh, disrespectful and challenging way. I don't remember exactly what he said. That's not important. But I remember my director said, um, you know, that's an interesting point. We'll talk about that later. That's all he had to say. And then they went and privately talked about the disrespect and the issue, and I don't even know what the result of that issue was. But I thought, man, that was genius. I wish I could do that. Because <laughs> I would have just turned and lit into the fella, right? And I was just like, dude, you, do you know who you're talking to? I mean, come on. And, but that's not the way he did it. And I thought, man, that, that's a perfect example of just taking it offline and taking it private and getting it out of the general, um, the, the eyes of the other people that are there that depend on you. Take it private. Next, and again, a tough one for me, is listen. Right, so this kind of goes along with assuming that you know the motivation of the person and therefore you're very quick to come to them with the answer. But the Bible tells us be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. James tells us that, along with a whole bunch more good stuff in James about how to, to talk, to how to use our tongue or not to use our tongue, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. So let the other side speak first, listen closely, humbly consider their thoughts. Your ability to listen earnestly and empathetically is a measure of the grace that's present within you. I don't have a lot of grace in me sometimes, and I'm, I, you know, I pray about that. But if we're not, um, if we will learn to listen, guess what happens? People listen to us. 
So if we let them talk and we earnestly listen to them and they understand that we're listening to them, they will then in turn, most of the time, give us the floor for a moment. And isn't that what we want, is to be heard? That's the purpose of this whole discussion, is that they're going to listen to us. And so if we will listen to them first, and again, figure out what the motivations are, maybe ask them a question, and then again, be quiet and listen, that will disarm them in a way. Um, so these recommendations are more now, we're, we're getting into the meat of the discussion. The other stuff was kind of a precursor and attitudes towards how to get there. Now we're in the middle of the discussion and the very first thing we should do is listen and not assume anything about their motivations or why we're here. <clears throat> if we do that, they will usually listen to us. Tame your tongue. Very tough sometimes for us. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse number 18. <clears throat> James talks to us about the tongue. We know it pierces. We know it leaves scars. Every one of us could reflect for a moment and remember a time when somebody told us something that hurt. Every one of us have been hurt by somebody else's words, somebody else's tongue. My guess, if you're old enough and you can remember enough, could have been mom and dad, could have been spouse, could have been church member, could have been Yancey. I've done it. I mean, I've, I've, I've said things that have pierced people and hurt people and marked people. It's just like any other scar. It's just like the scar that you get from a, from a cut. It, it leaves a mark. And, it, and people remember it, and it, uh, it hurts them. So gently use our words. Use our words um, to build people up and, and not to, to tear people down. And petty insults. Um, this comes in all shapes and forms. It comes in passive-aggressive. It comes in sarcastic remarks. It comes in gestures. It comes in whatever. It is <clears throat> Proverbs, again, chapter 12 says, A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. And so if we're in a heated discussion or whatever, there's going to be that sharp word or that insult or that something that hurts us. And we've got to be able to be bigger than that person and look over it. Tough to do sometimes. But these, um, <clears throat> these words, looks, and tones, these unfair references, we have a split second to make a decision between fight or forget, uh, eye for an eye, or whether we're going we're gonna to accept this, we're going to disregard this. If you know how the brain works, I'll tell you a little bit. I don't know much, but I know some things about how the brain works. The brain works this way. When you are threatened, that can be physically, that can be with words, that can be with a tone, that can be with a look. Your brain starts secreting a bunch of stuff. I don't know all the, the terms. You can go look. David could get up here and tell you about that. But what it does is it takes the blood from the reasoning part of your brain and it starts moving it to your large muscles. So you can either fight or flight. You can either run fast or you can fight or freeze in the case of a snake. Um, 
but it takes away a lot of your reasoning abilities because it's moving to, I just want to save the body, right? And so it moves away from, I want to intellectually hold a discussion about this, and it moves to, I want to get out of here, or I want to whip this animal or this beast or this whatever that's about to attack me. And so we've got to be really careful when all of that happens, insults or whatever they are that trigger us to take the breath. And again, that's why I started off with back off of this situation, go pray about it, think about it. Let the blood go back to the brain that thinks and away from the, the part that wants to fight. Let the adrenaline settle down, <laughs> all of those kind of things. And that's the way insults are. They will trigger you immediately and cause you to start secreting adrenaline and other things that make you not act as smart as you need to act. And so you have to be, you have to be careful about that. Don't fall into the escalation trap where they said that, they insulted me, so now I'm going to insult them worse. So they can insult me even worse than that, and, and then pretty soon you are fighting or flighting, right, physically, um, no longer with words. Um, seek a win-win solution. Philippians says, look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So this is, uh, in negotiations, they will tell you that this is what you should seek, right? Now, a lot of people try to negotiate just to win for me. But ultimately, for a negotiation to go successfully and everybody to walk out of there comfortably, there has to be some type of win-win the other, the other side's only going to agree when their interests are met, their needs are satisfied, their fears are assuaged, or they're allowed to save face. So those are typically the things that have to happen in a negotiation. Either I've said something and I've took a stand, and now you, I've got to be able to get off of that stand and, and swing back to some other stand, and you've got to allow me to do that and save face. Or... Um, I've got some fear, there's something about this that I'm afraid of, and you've got to take that fear and, and assuade that fear or get rid of that fear. <clears throat> and so win-win situations accomplish all of that, where we're looking not only to our own interests, but the interests of others. People only move in your direction when you move in theirs. That's what Joe was telling us last week. He's like, hey, I can't, I, I couldn't move where these other people lived. I couldn't understand them because I'd been raised differently. I, but I had a, I had this fellow that could. He could move in their direction. He's not going over there to live with them. He's moving in their direction, and then they move in his, and they find a win-win solution for everybody. Um, this one's also tough for us sometimes. Why don't we try forgiveness? Why don't we try just putting it aside? Now, you may still have to have the conversation to say, hey, that, that upset me or that did whatever, but we're going to, you know, I've forgiven you for that. Forgive and you will be forgiven. We spent a lot of time on this. It wasn't the Luke version, but it was the Matthew version in Bible study on uh, Wednesday night of, was this last week or a week or two ago. So forgiveness is a tough one for us sometimes. Being able to just put it aside and not remember it against them anymore can be um, very tough, but it can be the very best thing to do, to, to wipe it away, to, to, to go uh, counter-cultural and go authentic Christian. How about that? 
so um, the the culture is, you know, no, I'm, you know, I'm good. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You've offended me. But let's let's think about something that looks different. You're familiar. Well, I don't know if you are. I, some got somebody got on to me one time for saying you guys all know about whatever in the Bible and. They came to me after church and said, I didn't know about that, so I've tried not to do that anymore. Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 21, there's a parable there. I said let's read, but for time purposes, I don't think it's necessary. It's a it's a tough read in the uh, New King James as I've got here, or in the King James as I've got here. But the, the parable is this, a rich man uh, brings the uh, servant in and and the servant owes him a lot of money and he, he tells the servant to pay him or he's going to throw him in jail and the servant pleads with him and says no master please don't throw me in jail I'll find a way to pay you back and uh, he forgives him of his debt and he goes out and he finds somebody that owes him a little bit of money after he, he owed this master a ton of money and he finds this guy that owes him a little bit of money and he pleads with him to not go to jail but he sends him to jail anyway and the master finds out about it and he brings him back in to answer for that and so it's this concept of forgiveness and it talks the, 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 the end of that parable in Matthew 18 and says so likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you if ye from your heart forgive not every one of his brothers their trespasses so forgiveness is not only a nice thing that we should try to do forgiveness is required of us we are required to forgive. There are people not sitting in these pews today because they couldn't forgive. There are people not sitting in the pews of churches all over the country because they couldn't forgive. Somebody at a church said or did something that offended them, and they're not sitting here because they couldn't forgive that. They couldn't look over that. They couldn't look around that. What is Michael says something about this is not a hall of fame for Christians, but a hospital for sinners or something like that. I mean, we're not perfect. And we've got to learn how to forgive each other. Is that close? <laughs> the concept is close anyway. We're, we're not, we're not uh, saints. Uh, we are saints, but we're not perfect. Um, we have to be forgiven. It's got to be a part of our, um, it's got to be a part of our uh, Christian walk. I have a picture here of Jesus uh, healing the ear after Peter cut it off. And the concept here is to repay good with evil. It says, bless those who persecute you, overcome evil with good. That's the concept taught in Romans chapter 12 and verses 14 and 21. So this, this concept is not only do I forgive them, but I do something even better than that. I repay all of these insults. I repay all of this bad talk. I repay all of these bad actions with forgiveness and with kindness. In Proverbs chapter 25, it says, if your enemy is hungry, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. I'm not sure if it's Proverbs. Anyway, um, this is in the Bible. Um, Somebody can check it. Um, the The interesting thing that I think is the uh, will heap burning coals. 
I've heard that for many years, and I've thought that that means they're getting payback, right? I'm, if I heap kindness on them, that's going to hurt them. They're going to get these burning coals on their head. But that's not really the concept of this verse. This con- the, the concept of this verse is more like the verse in Corinthians where it tells us to disfellowship someone in hopes that that will cause them to come to their thinking and return because they missed us, right? That's the same concept here. These burning coals are not burning them and punishing them. These burning coals are helping them to realize the difference between the way I'm acting and the way this Christian is responding to it. It's to cause me to reflect. It's to burn in my head the fact that I'm over here being mean and this person's over here repaying that with kindness. And that burns in my head, that burns this thought into my head, that burns this reflection into my head to the point that I change the way that I am acting. And so we are asked, commanded to repay bad with good. It's a real measure of how, how tight we are with Jesus, right? Because that's what Jesus did. He repaid bad with good. I want to end with the uh, kind of rolling back to Paul and talking a little bit about uh, about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul on his third missionary journey, he left from um, Antioch and he went through Tarsus and through uh, Galatia, uh, Antioch. And uh, at Ephesus, uh, the Bible tells us he spent two years there in Acts chapter 19. It says he spent two years there and that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks, in uh, Acts chapter 19. Then he leaves Ephesus and he goes up through uh, uh, Troas and on over to Greece and Macedonia and and down here to Corinth and Athens. And then he starts heading back and his goal is to get back to Jerusalem before Pentecost. And so Paul decided to sail past Ephesus so so he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening to be in Jerusalem. So have you guys ever done that when you, you you knew if you stopped somewhere you were gonna it's gonna take a while? So I can tell you if I was traveling back from the north and I was in a hurry to get back to Corinth, I wouldn't stop at the farm. Right? Because if I stop at the farm, there's gonna be computers that need to be fixed, there's gonna be things that need to be worked on, there's gonna be things. And so I wouldn't stop there. Now what I might say is, hey, let's meet for lunch somewhere because now I can limit the time, right? It's an hour, hour and a half, two hours. It's not the whole time. Well, that's exactly what Paul did. He was coming back here, and he said, man, if I stop at Ephesus, I'm going to be there. Well, I was there two years the last time. You know, I know all these people. I got all these relationships. And so he sails past Ephesus to Miletus. And in Miletus, he calls the elders to him from Ephesus. So he says, hey, all of you elders from Ephesus, come down to Miletus and meet me. And... um, another crucial conversation and one that uh, gives me chills. He says, And now behold, I know that none of, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So Paul knows he's going to go to Jerusalem. Paul knows he's going to go to jail. He knows he's going to go back to Rome. And he knows he's not going to see these people again. And he says, Therefore I testify you this day that I am innocent of the blood of you all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So he said, brothers, I'm not going to see you anymore. I'm not going to get to talk to you anymore. But I testify that I have told you everything you need to know. I didn't shrink. I didn't cover it up. I didn't backstep. I didn't sidestep. I I told you 
what it is that you needed to know and how you needed to behave. I didn't draw back. I didn't withdraw. I didn't become smaller. I stood up and I told you what it was that you needed to hear and what you needed to know. So he's talking to the elders there, so obviously for me that carries a special significance, but it really applies to all of us. We're going to stand before the judgment seat someday and we're we're going to answer for the things we've said, the things we haven't said, the crucial conversations that we did have, the ones we didn't have, how those conversations went. Did we talk to somebody about the gospel? Did we have that conversation when we should have and we had the opportunity? Have the right conversations with our children? Did we raise them right so that they serve the Lord? We're going to answer for all of these conversations, but we're going to answer for our life as well. So. My hope is that you can stand before God just like Paul in some day and say, I'm, I'm innocent of, of their bad deeds, of their blood. I, I told them what they needed. An awesome concept, an awesome thought. And I'll leave you to reflect on that as we stand and sing.